This is the Real Leadership Podcast, a conversation about getting authentic, being yourself, and not being afraid of who you are, with Mark Lebusk and Kate Bora. Kate Bora from Young Professional Women Australia here, uh, joined by Mark Lebusk, the Human Manager. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, Kate. Mark, let's talk about this holy grail that is work-life balance or work-life fit or whatever you want to... Um, whatever you want to language it, every time I'm in rooms talking about what's important to in context of career, um, you know, without a doubt, flexibility comes up. Um, and often, you know, the desire for flexibility is driven because we feel like we don't have the work-life balance that I'm seeking. Any engagement work that I do, again, this whole importance of flexibility really coming through strongly. I think there was some research released by CEB um, a week ago that looked at that being a really strong driver in terms of uh, retention, keeping employees in organisations. And I was actually talking with a client last week and I said, there's actually, you can no longer afford not to offer flexibility. Uh, we're getting to the point now when, where if you don't offer flexibility to facilitate a conversation around work-life balance, then people won't come and work for you because you know, increasingly they're going to want to work for the organisations where that's an option. So um, let's start, I guess, at the whole conversation around what is work-life balance, work-life fit, how's it evolved over time? Um, what are your thoughts on that one? Um, so my, my initial thought is this, we need to get rid of the term work-life in this whole situation because work's part of your life. And I, and, and I think this is one of the tensions that we're creating is this whole idea that I'm going to have better balance if I work less and I have more of a life. So what I'd like to get people to start to think about, Kate, is this whole concept of design and life design so that we we are given permission by organisations and our managers to be more flexible and to design something that I think comes down to this for me. It means that we can both be happy and successful at the same time. So I hear it everywhere I go. I don't have my my work-life balance isn't good. I just need to work less and then I'll have a better life. But that's not necessarily the case because this um, whole concept is not just a point in time. It is something that goes from whether you're 25 or 55. So I just think we need to change the conversation from being about work-life balance to be something around designing ourselves a better life where we can be both successful and happy. Yeah, and I, you know, I certainly see those that are in jobs that they love, and so I think there's a piece here around those that are in jobs that they love. It's not kind of the conversation is, and I want to work um, less, and then I'd be, I'd be more happy. It's just how do I do work and life um, in a way where what's important to me in context of career um, is not pursued at the cost of what's important to me in other areas of life. How do I pursue both? And I think there's an important conversation here around Yes, you can have it all, just not all in one moment and making conscious choice around what is most important to you and then being able to make decisions that line up with that as opposed to trying to do too much because I think there's this competing tension because I'm trying to be all things to all people and, you know, firstly being able to make a choice around consciously what's most important and doing that, you know, over a week, a month, a quarter, a year, whatever time frame is going to work um, and then figuring out how do I achieve those goals? How do I move forward on all of that? And I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting one, Mark. I agree. The concept of balance, well, it's so ingrained that you almost can't not use it. But how do I know what's important to me in work and life? How do I, how do I make that fit in a week, a month, a year so that I can pursue success 
in those things that are important to me without unnecessary compromise. Yeah. And I think that sure. unnecessary compromise is an interesting one because that's what's happening for many people unconsciously. Oh, absolutely. So there's this whole thing. I know um, Simon Sinek was out here recently and he, t- he talks about this whole idea that you know, there's two things you can never get back and it's around time and energy. And you know, this is this whole dilemma with with the concept of, you know, if you think of the scales, there is something in here around balance. If you want more time for self, you've got to take time from somewhere else. And that might be work or it might be family or it might be from your community. So, you know, there's significant tension that has been created um, just in the conversations because let's not just then think about the human form as it's as it is. Let's now then think about the different circumstances um, humans find themselves in, you know, mother of young children. It could be the father who um, is really wanting to embrace this more but feels that if he does, then his career prospects will be gone. It's the person who's about to retire or the one who's about to start their career. There's all of these complexities that we throw into the mix, but we keep telling people, oh, we just want you to have a better balance. It's not that simple. But I do think, Kate, that there are a lot of organisations out there now that are starting to give people permission to do this. And I think this is a critical word, permission. We're not empowering them. We're giving them some permission to start to look at this in a different way, I think, to what organisations have ever looked at it before. And I think that's encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Even if we look at flexibility, that you know, the conversation and the way organisations are operating around flexibility, I'd suggest has changed dramatically in the last 18 months from um, many people wanting it but not being able to, to I would suggest a significant amount of people in organisations actually having access to flexibility. And I think you're absolutely right, this concept of permission that I'm allowed to pursue life and that is as important as um, my career goals. I think it is an interesting one in terms of the behaviours that then follow. Now, how do I show up differently? How do I, um, what choices do I make that are different? Because actually, you know, there's an acknowledgement that, yeah, being present as a parent or doing some volunteer work. And I think there's an important conversation around work, um, like balance or fit that actually is, it's actually, it's not a parent thing. It's a human thing. I know I see people who get really frustrated that still in some organizations, it's certainly seen as acceptable to take flexibility because, you know, you've got priorities around caring responsibilities with children. But for those that don't have children, frustrations because of perceptions from colleagues probably more than um, other managers this whole piece of colleagues and how they see the decisions we make around this space yeah look I think that's a a really really good point having spent a a lot of time working in this space in the last four or five years just running little workshops for small teams or larger groups oftentimes someone will come up to me at the end and say you know what I don't have kids and I'm almost sometimes now starting to feel like I'm isolated or alienated because of that. But you know what? I've got other things that, that are important to me and it might be about parents or it might be brothers and sisters or extended families. And, you know, it's almost sometimes some of those people start to feel like they're a little bit, they are isolated in some respects. So I think this whole conversation has to make sure that it's not caught somewhere around this is about making sure you can pick your kids up from daycare or drop them off. And, look, I, I think it's getting past that. And just around permission, here's the interesting one for me. Even sometimes when you give people permission to do something, they may not know what to do with the permission they've been given. So I think it's incumbent on organisations and managers to help just as much with the what and the how here 
as to the, the question of why. Yeah, one of the questions I always, um, you know, when I talk about work-life fit with clients is I always say, well, what does work-life balance mean to you? What does it look like? If we start small, what would be different for you to feel like you had better work-life balance? And I think the interesting thing, Mark, is actually often people will come up with small things and it's the small things that make a really big difference. I know one client moved from a standard working week to a nine-day fortnight, so still working the same hours but doing it across nine days instead of ten and knowing all the impact it had in terms of you know she's a mum of two boys so um, obviously you know there was there was a priority in terms of being present as a parent but it also had a huge impact in terms of how her mindset and how she navigated work on the other nine days and particularly you know out of hours email and all those sorts of things so um, sometimes, you know, and that's a pretty big change, but sometimes it can be the small things like actually it's just one day a week I leave work on time so that yeah. I can go, I can be home earlier and take my dog for a walk or I can go to the beach or, you know, it can be small things that can have big impacts. Absolutely. And look, that's a great point. And, and even those small things, I think the critical piece here is how does the manager continue to show that they support these changes, this flexibility, because, you know, the little off the cuff comment of, good afternoon when someone turns up at 9am or, you know, you're taking an early minute because they're leaving at 4 o'clock to go and watch their their daughter's netball game or maybe now these days their daughter's football game even. Little things like that can have such impact on making progress here. So there's something there that the managers need to be really, really conscious of any bias they may have around this and make sure they don't do those little subtle things that start to create what I call guilt, and, and and I think guilt's a big part here, Kate, is people feel guilty that they're not seen at their desk or they're not seen in the office for 12 hours, and it's the little things that managers do that can either remove this guilt or it can throw fuel on the fire. Yeah, absolutely, which talks to this whole, and it's not just managers, it's colleagues as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Look, I'm I, I, that was being too manager-centric there. Just little off-the-cuff comments from colleagues are so powerful and have such an impact a negative impact if if they're taken in the wrong way yeah which talks this whole piece around culture and we know that culture is driven very much by the senior leaders of the organization in fact i was talking with a client uh, recently who uh, mentioned they had a new ceo coming who literally had walked out of his last role had pretty much had a marriage breakdown over the way that he'd approached his past role and executed really clearly walked into this new role saying you know what, family's a priority for me. I'm going to be in here at 8.30. I'm going to be leaving at 5.30 and I want you all to um, do the same thing. Yes, this is important, but there's other things that are important. And how that can change, that behaviour can change the the culture of the organisation and, again, consciously giving permission to people. If I see it being done, I know that it's accepted and I can follow that behaviour. And and, and just as importantly, demonstrating that same behaviour, I think that it is incumbent on the managers and the management group, if they are talking about this being important, that they demonstrate it as well. Um, interestingly, you talk about that sort of manager coming in. In my last role as a senior sales director, in my very first meeting with my team, instead of them um, looking at the numbers, in fact, we didn't look at the numbers for about three months, I asked them to do a simple exercise where they divided a circle up into how they were spending their time at that particular point in their life around self, family, 
community and work. And then I asked them to do it again for what they'd like it to look like within the next 12 months, notwithstanding they weren't going to win the lotto or, you know, something like that. So just make some rational changes. Back to your point before, Kate, simple things. They made some simple changes around more time for self and perhaps family, or even some said more time for community because they really weren't engaging in their community. What I did then was took that a step further, and I talk about it in my book, was that I actually built in non-work-related goals for self, for family, and for community into their performance plans. And I did receive some backlash from human resources to say that I really couldn't do that, but I just decided that we would. And and over the next 12 months, they were measured on achieving non-work-related goals just as they were on achieving their work-related goals. and it had a significant impact on not only the results for them as human beings and being more connected with family and themselves and community, but a significant impact on business results, which I've never seen before in 25 years of of working. So I think there's something in that. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting one. I think, um, you know, it's the whole philosophy around just because we're at work longer, are we actually being more effective? You know, research we did a couple of years ago on, you know, workplace habits, I was kind of really interested. I knew people were working hard. My question around how productive and effective they were being was really raised. And, you know, we saw people, I think it was like 25% saying that for at least eight hours a week, they felt they were completely unproductive due to stress, overload, overwhelm. So this whole concept of just because I'm at my desk doesn't mean I'm being effective. And I think that's slowly transitioning. The conversation around flexibility is helping that. But there is a, Mark, I still think there is a, there's a natural pull to this piece. And I think it's also because, you know, we operate in businesses in a world where there is now no end to the to-do list. Like there's always more to be done. And so it's, success doesn't equal getting through to the end of the day and ticking everything off your list and feeling like you're in control. I always, you know, talk to clients about actually out of, out of control is the new business as usual. So it's how do I get comfortable and what are my new strategies to operate in that environment? So how do I know what's important? How am I getting what's important done on a daily basis so that you know, I'm making progress and I still feel comfortable during that, I don't have this level of anxiety. And I think possibly that's what triggers part of the tension around this whole conversation is there's always more to do. Oh, absolutely. And look, you know, I, I, I give you a very sad case. I worked with someone many, many years ago who used to write in the top of their diary the time they got in and the time they left every day. And I asked them why one day they did that. And they said, because if something ever happens and people don't think I'm working hard enough, I'm going to be able to show them that I was here for 12 or 13 hours a day. Now, you know, there are still elements of of that fear in organisational life, notwithstanding we've now given people permission to be flexible and, and to go and do other things because the system has been the way it has been for so long. And if you're not seen at your desk or if your jacket's not hanging on the back of your chair, it means that you've gone early or you've left. And then we get into this whole argument around presenteeism, you know, this whole thing of being present but maybe not doing so much while you're there. I, I know a lot of people that can operate very productively in four hours of FaceTime in the in, in organisation, in fact, far more productively than someone who's there for the 12-hour day. So I think there's a bit of horses for courses here too, Kate, just around how people best work. And, and again, in my book, I ask a very simple question. Here's a question, a great question for a manager to ask the people reporting to them. 
what's your work style preference? And, and it might well be that someone says, you know, hey, I'm, I do much better work when I'm in amongst my peers here and, and I'm going to spend a lot of time here. Or I also do much better work if I'm sitting on the porch or if I'm in my home office or somewhere else. So I think we've got to sort of get to the point and understand that individuals will use this flexibility and balance in, in very different ways to come up with better results. Yeah, so some great questions there. Um, I think, you know, I talk about the three three new skills of the current work world and that's about know what's important, so priorities, and then this whole concept of how do you work effectively, to your point just then, um, how do you focus, how do you manage distractions, minimise distractions so you can get things done rather than operating in this treadmill. And I, I think those three are a really important process to go through and I think that those three questions together with this the audit that you mentioned around, okay, well, how am I spending my time looking back and how do I choose to spend my time? And so those two questions are a really powerful way to help you stop and focus and make some choices around what needs to be different and those three things, priorities, managing stakeholders and, and focus to be able to provide the gateway for you to be able to execute on making some of those changes when we talk about, okay, well, how do I um, how do I move forward on executing? I, you know, I might, once I'm clear about what needs to be different, how do I go about doing that? So I think certainly, um, and that's probably another conversation for us, Mark, around how do you actually be more effective so that you can create the time? Because often it's time that's the barrier. Yeah, absolutely. As uh, I said before, it's one thing we can't get back. And as humans, we are we are also in the game of trying to please as many other humans as we can. And I just think at times we, um, in in this quest to please so many people, we end up letting ourselves and a lot of other people down because we get transfixed on a particular at a particular point on a particular thing. And you know, this is just hard work, Kate. You know, bringing in donuts at ten thirty on a Friday and letting people dress in casual dress and you know and that work from home for a day—they're all great concepts. But this is about something that's sustainable. And I think the three points you made before about priorities and whatnot, that's where the real work is, more so than maybe some of the gimmicky things. I see so many of, I see the gimmicks, I, I believe, and this is my view, I believe the gimmicky things of the beanbags and the Nintendos and all that sort of stuff, that's great. But the big thing is, is when someone walks in at nine o'clock and, and you know, I look at my watch and say, good afternoon, Kate, that's when this stuff all falls over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Mark, great conversation as always. Um, hopefully you guys have got a few um, small steps. We talk about small shifts can have um, lasting change and dr- drive sustainable change. So really encourage you guys to look at, you know, where are you, what needs to be different, and then um, commit to one small change that can create that sustainable change. Thanks for being here, Mark. Thanks for having me again, Kate. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you. Hey, it's Mark here again. Thanks for listening to our episode of Real Leadership Podcast. If you liked it, why not rate it five stars? And if you loved it, how about subscribing through iTunes to get upcoming episodes? To check out our websites, it's www.ypwa.com for the Young Professional Women of Australia and www.marklabust.com for Mark Labust. And while you're at my website, check out my book, Being Human. Be sure to be listening in for our next episode where we're going to tackle the issue of what we call humanovation. It's about how humans can innovate to get better business results. But until then, keep your leadership real.